podcast ain't played nobody. Bill, do you think everyone found the secret podcast ain't played nobody uh, that was hidden in Shreveport, Louisiana? Um, only if you were on Twitter at exactly the right time, did you get the, uh, the, the, the deleted scenes, the, the Easter egg PAPA? I think we should just do this from now on where I wander into a radio studio in some part of America, call you, and then we have a show. Right. That's basically what it was. Although Bud got involved too, I guess. Yeah. Oh, well we had, it was Florida. I mean, Florida state was in the independence bowl. And plus we had to make Bud talk about the independence bowl. <laughs> and Southern Miss. I mean, look, those are those are big opportunities. Um, the proprietor of uh, Tomahawk Nation, as well as the the guru for recruiting at SB Nation, is um, I would say he's on the other side of our passion for the G five. Is that fair to say? <laughs> it's fair to say, yeah. Brutally fair to say. Um, and. Uh- and I mean, if he wasn't really interested in the game, it was kind of borne out that he didn't have a reason to be interested in the game. Yeah. No, he was right. Uh, I didn't go. It was weird as I did the pregame show for the Independence Bowl. Um, I was in North Louisiana for um, the usual holiday family commitments and drove over to Shreveport. Uh, a friend of mine named Ben Mintz hosts uh, a regular show on the ticket 100.7 FM. I just looked it up. Um, and they, they are the flagship home for Louisiana Tech, but they do, of course, a lot of LSU, a lot of Texas schools. Shreveport's kind of a hinterland between Texas and the rest of the South and Arkansas and all that stuff. So um, we did the pregame show from the studio down the street from the, from the game and then had to go back for family obligations and did not feel like I cheated myself from watching um, no. a controlled scrimmage. He had a really stupid, hilarious, like first 10 minutes or so with penalties and, and bad snaps and all this other stuff. And then right as we were trying to put together like a, you know, the 10 weirdest things about the independence bowl, Florida state said, okay, board now. And, um, James Blackman yeah. looked good and just picked them apart. Um, this isn't really like insider information or anything, but Taggart did kind of tell those guys, Hey, you're auditioning, you know, I'm watching I'm here. Yeah. Like, let's see what you got. And so there was a lot of, a lot of showing out and uh as bud was talking about on the pregame segment florida state i mean they are so eager to change the offense the players wanted to install the the tempo stuff immediately um they wanted to go <laughs> into the bowl with the tagger playbook which might have been a disaster um that's not really how it would have been a spectacular a spectacularly fun disaster but couldn't yeah. have been any worse than what smu tried to do yeah, this is true. Pretty terrible. All right, Bill, um, we're going to jump in. We're going to knock out the rest of our, our bowl obligations, but then we're going to take some questions, um, and then we're going to talk playoffs briefly. We won't be back until after the playoffs are over. Or not the entire playoff. I'm sorry. Don't freak out. The semis. Um, we'll yes. resume our normal Wednesday tilt next week. Um, so in the interim, we, got, we do have a lot of college football. We're going to jump in. Um, it, it's funny. Every time we do a – I'm going to call it traditional, traditional segment on this podcast. People seem to reject the concept. Anytime we just sort of vamp for a lack of a better term is when we get the most feedback. So we're just going to plow through these. Now, as we record this, it's about 10 a.m. God's time on Friday, December 29th. So we did not, did we preview the belt bowl? You, you, we, knew, we knew we would forget. Yes, we previewed the Belk Bowl, and so we're good, which is that's a good thing because there's no way this gets up before the Belk Bowl starts. No, not a damn chance. Um, but the rest of the day, we did not preview, and we have to talk about that now. All right, that's fine. We'll do it real fast. You ready? Yes. <clears throat> How about that Hyundai? Real fast. Real, real fast. That's fine. How about that Hyundai Sun Bowl in the old El Paso? Um, it's CB. I love that it's still CBS's Lone Bowl game. 
on the flagship CBS. <laughs> Love that. Arizona State and NC State. Um, again, as you're listening to this, this game's probably happening. Let's just predict what happened. Um, well, I, this morning, Richard Johnson uh, of SB Nation put out a piece where uh, he reminded everybody, including me, because I had forgotten, Todd Graham is still coaching. He is the interim coach uh, for his fired self while Herm Edwards comes in to bring the progressive business structure. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, Todd Graham has still been coaching his team, and that is everything that I thought was awkward about the Arizona State situation. When I was reminded of that, it all doubled. Uh, it's crazy awkward. We'll see uh, if they show up. I figure NC State will show up. Um, they still have a little something to prove, uh, and they were very and they were pretty good. Uh, Arizona State wasn't really good except for those two weeks where they had defense, but th- they can play offense. This could turn. This does have a little bit of shootout potential if Arizona State gets rolling and NC State's front seven isn't like you know completely dialed. I'm going to say NC State just absolutely whips them here, and Graham is 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 by far just sort of checked out mentally, but lets his players basically pick all of the cool stuff in the book that they don't get to run a lot and not for any particular, not for productive reasons. I'm not saying he's like cherry picking an awesome, like, you know, us against the world game plan. I'm just saying, Hey, like, Hey guys, just, just take what you want. Stores closing everything. 75% off. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> fake punt. Cool. Second down. Yeah. No problem. Done. Um, all right. Uh, a game I've told some people on this coaching staff that I would go to, but I'm definitely not gonna, um franklin american mortgage why am i doing sorry i just did sponsors we've been avoiding sponsors this entire time it's the music city bolts northwestern and kentucky um i've been out of town i got back to nashville last night i cannot give you a read on how many passionate northwestern medill medill school grads are are flooding broadway right now in nashville but i have a pretty good idea that um it's none and the only Northwestern fans I know live on the internet and talk about their journalism degrees. And then also everyone from Kentucky is going to drive down right about now, about an hour from now, <laughs> get lunch, go to the game, and then drive home. Boy, you couldn't have sold that one any better. Um, this may be worse. This, this is pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, this is where you hope the bowl break is an evener if you're looking for a good game, because last half of the season, Kentucky was never as good as its record to begin with. Like I was getting yelled at quite a bit by Kentucky fans about, you know, their five and one start and how they still weren't very good. Um, then they finished two and four. Northwestern, meanwhile, I kind of predicted big things from them uh, before the season, and they proceeded to get whomped by Duke uh, and then lose more, uh, you know, to Wisconsin. They were competitive for a while but against Penn State, but they still started the year two and three. Three, uh, and haven't lost since Penn State left town. So if this is based solely on the level of play established over the last half of the season by but each team, Northwestern's winning like 31 to 7. So hopefully, hopefully there's a little rust involved that we actually see a competitive game here. But uh, Northwestern has a big edge uh, unless there's yeah, rust Northwestern's involved. at peak Northwestern right now, whereas Kentucky, the best favorite did itself was that hot start because they didn't have to get involved in a coaching search cycle that would have chewed them up and really really told them their place in the world when they would have like, cause like Mississippi state's a better job than Kentucky. Um, so of all the schools that opened this year, it was good that Kentucky didn't. They also owe Stoops a lot of money. So everything kind of worked <laughs> out for the best for those guys. And they can go ahead and just make their change next year. Bill. Yep. New Mexico state's in a bowl. Yeah. Oh, and I, <laughs> it's going to be, I, uh, I'm not wah, 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 optimistic. Wah, wah, wah. 
that this is actually going to be a fun game to watch. Um, I, I remember like the last time I was this excited about a Sunbelt team making a bowl was when ULM did it back in what was that? 2012, I, I believe it was the uh, independence bowl and they got shellacked yeah. by Ohio. They got shellacked. Like when, when you put that much into just making the bowl uh, and it's that big a deal where you're rushing the field after going, you know, six and six, it was a beautiful moment. It was one of my favorite moments in college football. There's a very decent chance New Mexico state plays hungover as hell. Um, and that that isn't a game to, to really get all that excited about, but uh, a, they are still in a damn bowl. B, you know, Utah State's actually a pretty good team, uh, you know, some big play potential on offense and everything. So even if you if New Mexico State doesn't fulfill my dream of them not only making a bowl but winning it, Utah State's probably worth checking out. They're better than you think. Real quick on that ULM bowl story. Again, stuck in North Louisiana for Christmas that year. Um, kind of reached my, my saturation point on interactions with in-laws and insiders. <laughs> I remember sending a message to Jason Kirk being like, hey, uh, I'm just going to drive over to Shreveport. You know, we already, we, SB Nation did a story about ULM after they beat Arkansas that year. And I was like, you know what? Uh, I'll just do like a fun thing, you know, like they're going to a bowl. It's, it's basically in their backyard. Like, you know, they, they don't get me out of the like, house. Exactly. I'm like, you know, it'll be like a fun thing. Like they'll probably do some cool stuff with the two quarterback system that Todd Berry was running. And I was like, it'll just be neat. It'll be fun. And like, then I got to Shreveport and it was painfully cold for Louisiana that year. Just, Fighting oh, wind, right, yeah. and everyone from ULM. The, the awesome thing was this on TV: the ULM section all camo because it's a huge hunting. <laughs> no one had on the Warhawk <clears throat> colors; just all camo. And then at about like five minutes into the second quarter, I was like, "I'm gonna go," and I was just like, "Yeah, I'm just, I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go." Didn't turn that expense report in, uh, Bill. Yeah. Do we, we we are fired up about Ohio State and USC, right? As long as, I will repeat what Reese Davis said, as long as Ohio State wears its real jerseys so we can see Ohio State's jerseys taking on USC's jerseys, hell yes. Um, and you're, you're, you're dedicated to that, and I just can't, I cannot find it in me. I think I think because they're playing each other, you know, because the, the you know they're both a little disappointed, you know, winning their conference, not making the playoff, all that. Because they're playing each other, I think they'll both play pretty yeah. well. I think Ohio State's a lot better than USC. Um, I just I, I, I was happy that the committee wasn't taking USC too seriously because I just I watched them too much. They were they were good to very good all year, but they weren't playoff caliber more than a couple of times. And those couple of times were both against Stanford, mm-hmm. um, but they got destroyed by Notre Dame. They really you, Washington State did everything it's could it kind of could not to beat them uh and they said no 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 go ahead and they just you know they were just good you know barely got by utah barely got by texas barely you know took took the full 60 minutes to get by uh california and western michigan aside from the stanford games they were only good and that's fine uh but if both teams show up and play an a game ohio state wins by 10 or 14 i think <sighs> I'll, I'll, uh, it'll take the game starting for me to get fired up and then it'll happen Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I think it'll be a good atmosphere. Granted, it won't be the Rose Bowl, so it'll feel a little weird, but it'll be a good atmosphere. It'll be two teams with a lot of talent and athleticism playing pretty hard. Um, and that's you fun. also have to and cheer for Ohio State. Everyone does. You know why? If USC beats Ohio State in a bowl game, I mean, it's like a prophecy. That means we get 10. It's, it's the groundhog, essentially, of bowl season. If USC wins their bowl, we have to hear about a USC national championship for 10 months. 
Unless Sam Darnold goes pro, and no, he probably I still think will. they will. You know nah, how that goes. I think, it'll, I think it's all. I think it's all tied to Sam Darnold. I think it's all so. tied to sports writers being lazy win, as f. If they win, and then he announces after the game, you know what? I threw too many picks this year. I'm coming back next year to figure everything out. Um, then, old oh, a that probably means Drew Locke's going pro. Uh, you know, just try to sneak into the first round, which I do no. not endorse. Uh, but B, uh, that would mean that USC is like preseason number one next year. Uh, take that. I can't live with that. Bill, we 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 were oh. sort of close to before the coaching change at Mississippi State, an awesome ex defensive coordinator swap battle uh, yes. in the old uh, Tax Slayer yeah. Bowl. Now we've moved on, by the way, to December thirtieth, the Louisville Mississippi State at noon. Um, is Grantham coaching in this game? So uh, let me back up. So Louis, uh, Louisiana, Louisville and Mississippi State swapped defensive coordinators, in case you didn't know, last year. Terrible trade really for Louisville. Weird. Terrible trade Don't, for Louisville. I mean, I'm racking my brain for precedent. Don't know if there is one. Nope. Okay. Judging by that Let's quietness, see. I'm going to say, uh, yeah. So, no, I was, I was, so Greg Knox, the running backs coach, is the interim head coach. Um... I believe Grantham has well, moved on and is recruiting for, for, sure for the for um, the Gators. But uh, what's interesting is, again, they swap defensive coordinators, so there there is a lot of institutional knowledge, I guess, just by default on these two on these two programs. So it's going to be interesting. Sure, I mean that's the best. Yeah, this one the, the coaching carousel ruined this. Yeah, I really did. When the announcement was made, it was pretty. It was a pretty exciting game. Uh, you know, you still have no Fitzgerald isn't even playing, is he? So you won't even have Fitzgerald versus Lamar. Um, so yeah, it's watch Lamar. That's that's your reason for watching this game is it's probably Lamar Jackson's last game as a college quarterback, and that should be so a reason enough. So he can not get drafted uh, as a quarterback and relegated to a wide receiver and become the victim of every trope uh, and, and misconception that we have in the sport of football. I'm really trying to sell this one, man. Get excited. Wah, wah, wah. Regardless, this is, so this is the last time to watch pure Lamar. Like in, in if his he likes the mob, it will mean if, if he ends his career by just torching another SEC school, it's not going to matter, but it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, yeah, torch anybody. I'm, I'm, I'm always here for Lamar torching somebody. All right, Bill, how much do we? I really feel like we've done a bad job selling the Liberty Bowl. Things I didn't think I'd say. Um, Memphis is at home. Kind of sucks for them. Whether they're going to admit it or not, they're yeah. not going to admit it. But it sucks for them. They're playing Iowa State. It'll be a good crowd because Iowa State's just pumped to be in a bowl. And Memphis will be like marginally less cold than Iowa, I guess. So it's a, it's a treat. Um, this could be like a really fun, awesome game, and I just feel like this is the second time I've looked at it on a schedule and been like, "Oh man, we should have we should have jumped on this as soon as the polls were announced." <laughs> yeah, we've been a little disorganized. Let's let's be honest. We you know we've been this just is, podcasting. This is our, man, dude. This is this is us. This is the brand right here. I, this is a game. My apologies, that, Iowa State. We should have been riding for y'all a long time ago. This is basically strength versus strength, weakness versus weakness right now. And, and that kind of game can go one of two ways. Either you've got Memphis landing some shots with a really good offense on a really good Iowa State defense. And you maybe you, it creeps into like a, you know, 38 to 31 kind of situation. Or maybe Iowa State, you know, being that there there isn't just going to be a ton that they're going to be surprised by from Memphis. And they have only given up, let's see, in the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games, they've only given up more than 20 points once. 
Um, so they could contain Memphis and we're in, we end up with like a 20 to 14 slog. Either one could happen. And I'm not really sure. It's always kind of hard to tell, but I'm landing defense here. Actually, this is a good time to mention it. This is a couple days ago now, but Dan Rubenstein of SB nation video. I know him solid verbal pain. Yeah. You know, he nice guy. Um, he pointed out the other day that straight up, uh, this was on Wednesday. So it didn't include Wednesday and Thursday, although thinking through it in my head, it's, it's been maintained for the most part since then, uh, over the first 17 bowl games, the team with the better defensive S and P plus ranking, uh, was 14 and three straight up. Um, UAB, uh, UAB, Northern Illinois, and uh, San Diego State lost, and San Diego State lost to an option team, so it's hard to really apply that. But otherwise, they were fourteen and three. Try to think through the last couple of days. Texas beat Missouri, so that's another point in that one in that little uh, trend's favor. Uh, what else did we have in the last couple of days? Oklahoma State beat Virginia Tech, so that's a that's a. A, 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 a demerit, but uh, TCU beating Stanford, I believe TCU had the higher rated defense. Michigan State beat Washington State. Michigan State had the higher rated defense. Uh, Purdue beating Arizona. Purdue had the higher rated defense. So yeah, we're still looking good here. Uh, Iowa State has the by far the better defense than Memphis. So if this is the trend of 2017-18 bowl season, uh, then Iowa State wins or sort of maybe wins it relatively handily because they've got by far a better defense. Best partner six i don't know what the like i do this for a living and i don't know what the hell they call these games best of the big bowls washington and penn state six is it new year six i don't care it's dumb is what it is the fiesta bowl uh washington and penn state i'm pumped it's a great matchup yeah hell yeah this is, this I mean, this is awesome. basically and and the loss of joe moorhead to mississippi state obviously it's gonna affect penn state just not for the moment um this is gonna be a super fun game with a lot of talented players um and I think I even said this, we were doing the shtick on the, on the Shreveport radio thing. Like you probably, maybe not you, the PAPN listener, but you're definitely your friends. This is maybe the first time they've seen Washington since the playoff game last year. <laughs> maybe Washington Possibly, was, yeah. Washington fell victim to a really bad run of exposure this year. And obviously they weren't, you know, they got knocked out of playoff consideration about what at the halfway mark. But I'm just saying like, yeah, they really did not benefit like they didn't get a prestige moment to, in terms of scheduling. So you, this may be the first time even you, the listener, has seen Washington since the playoff last year. But guess what? Yeah, from an S&P from an S&P standpoint, the best team they've played is Fresno. Mm. Um, although Fresno will now drop, I'm pretty sure after. No, no, no. They beat, never mind. They beat Houston. That was a dumb thought. Uh, they might not drop at all. They might end up uh, the second best team behind Penn State that, that Washington played. But Washington's really good. I, I have a piece coming out either later today or or tomorrow about um so this if you use the the football study all um stat profiles uh, you see there's a post game win expectancy number i'm looking at washington stat profile right now it shows that like so basically it, this is the thing that you know toss all the key stats the key five factor stats and whatnot into the air uh and it, it basically says you would have won this game x percent of the time based on the stats from the game itself it's not opponent adjusted it's not a prediction it's just basically a purely backwards looking you would have won this game x percent of the time playing like that um if so, I, what I did. This is um, you know TMI probably, but I, I basically re-simulated the entire season based on those numbers. Um, just basically the, you know, to see who was the luckiest or unluckiest. Uh, there's a forty percent chance if you re, if you simulate the season, there's about a forty percent chance that Alabama finishes with at least two losses. 
um, because they played like crap against Auburn and they probably as often as not would have lost one of two to A&M and Mississippi state. They didn't play well in either one of those games. Um, so there's a chance that there's like a 40% chance that they finish with two losses. Meanwhile, there's a 50% chance that Washington gets to the PAC 12 title game with one loss at most. Uh, they, they, they're the two losses they had were straight toss up games. Uh, they absolutely could have gone anyway. They missed a couple field goals against Arizona state. They came up a touchdown short against Stanford. Um, they really in an alternate universe, uh, as often as not, they make the playoff this year. They're a very good team. Penn state. Meanwhile, lost two games by four points on the road to good teams. Mm. So mm-hmm. very, 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 very high caliber. Game. Best matchup. By the best way, matchup outside of the playoff as well in terms of yes. Two and the, if you're going by the defense wins bowl games trope uh, that that Rubenstein pointed out, uh, Washington has the fourth ranked defense and has the advantage. I guess interesting. Wisconsin and Miami in the Orange Bowl, uh, probably the most overlooked of of the <sighs> partner bowls. I mean, there are ways to gin up some interest in this game. Let me think about it. I mean, Miami's in the Orange you Bowl like at home. But it's not the Orange Bowl anymore, so you don't you don't really get that vibe. And then um, I don't know. This is the most Wisconsin freaking outcome possible, isn't it? Yeah, Miami. You're, you're struggling. This is hard. It's it was like I thought. All, like heading into the season, man, if Miami has a quarterback. This is a, a potential. This is an ACC challenger right here, and right. I was right until I well until I was right. Uh, it seemed like they did have a quarterback. Uh, at least Malik Rozier was making the big plays. He wasn't always showing up until the second half, but he was making plays. Uh, they had a reasonably decent offensive rating, uh, top thirty, I believe, in S and P. Uh, and then they went out and laid an egg against Pitt and an egg against Clemson, and here we are. Uh, they 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 won ten games for the first time in forever, and it's a disappointing ten and two now. Um, I don't really have anything to add to this other than I expect Wisconsin to be peak level Wisconsin. I also expect them to <gasps> prediction time. I think they beat a slightly complacent Miami. How's that? I that's like we were, t- I was talking about that on the radio, I, either with you guys or a thing I did yesterday. I'm, I'm, it's, it all blends together after a while, but, um, like we were talking about Miami wanting redemption and all this and that's fine. Um, no, no, it's I funny. Just, no, I don't buy that. It's just like, I mean, well, they have a good defense and they could show up well and force some turnovers, create some easy points. Like that's all great, but it's funny how complacent you look when you have a bad quarterback situation and it's hard. That's not something you can just like use motivation to overcome. Uh, so Rozier really, really, really needs to have a good game here. He, he, he was pretty damn awful down the stretch. Um, and to the point where in the biggest game of the year with their, uh, with their undefeated team on the line, Mark Richt was like, well, hell throw in the backup. It can't be worse. Uh, and it wasn't worse. It wasn't better either. Um, but that was a bad, bad situation. Looking up turnovers right now. Heck Mark Rick would have said, well, heck he would have said, well, heck, by the way, number one team for turnover margin in the country was your Wyoming Cowboys. Yep. All Josh Allen. Oh God. Don't start. That was, that was me. Don't Sorry. Start. Um, Wisconsin's kind of middle of the pack. I was going to say that, you know, there, there is a way for Wisconsin to operate at, at, at sort of their, their nearly ideal setup and not give Miami the chances, the, the turnover chain chances by making bad decisions in the past game. And they can still basically run what they want to. So, um, Hornibrook did throw 15 picks. I think that's Miami's shot right there is, uh, he can be, I, know, that's what I, looked up and I was like, wow, it's so, it doesn't feel right. But yeah. 
He's a confident guy. He he makes he's made some really big throws this year. He's a, a, a reason why they started twelve and one and da- or twelve and zero and damn near beat Ohio State. Like he's a, he's a good quarterback, probably underrated compared to his reputation. But he can be baited into into bad passes. I'm curious if those are situational bad. interceptions though, based on. Um, is it, is it come from behind? Is it, is it a one particular, well, they were never coming from behind until the last game. So it's kind of, an how incomplete... many did he throw against Ohio state? Uh, I'm pulling it up now. He was, uh, 19 for, 40, right. 19 for 40 with two picks against Ohio state. Um, I'm trying to think when those picks happened, but we have uh, that many picks to distribute amongst a 12 and a Wisconsin team. Yes. Huh? Learn something new every day on this podcast. But his best, uh, he, he had a, like almost 150 passer rate. He was actually like, mm. he threw like four picks on first down, which was kind of weird. Um, he threw a bunch of picks on first down and a bunch of picks on third and really long All because right. he you was know trying what? to make a play. You know what? I have no ego. Um, I complete your ascendant then. If, uh, if, that, if, if that's the case, I like, a, I like a Miami secondary here to cause a problem or two, win an ugly game. How's that? There you okay. go. Sure. I don't care. No one's judging me. Uh, I'm not going to watch the next game. It's Michigan and South Carolina. Nope. Not doing it. It's at noon. I think the hockey has an outdoor game on New Year's Day. Um, I am very middle-aged with two children, so I won't be going, you know, I won't be putting the hammer down the night before or anything, but like, and I don't have, I don't have to watch that. The the not one enough. interesting thing about this, and I'm not going to pretend like I'm going to watch a lot of the oh, game. Oh, God, because hang for, on real fast. Brian Nanny. Our colleague Ryan Nanny's going to be yes. Like, yes. That's right. It's but it's like the third call, quarter. Right. I'm just going to yes. text him because he because I have his phone number and I'll just feel like just, exactly when are you going? Just out. watch Twitter. Yeah, yeah just yeah, watch yeah, Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Ryan. Um, yeah. So basically. The two reasons then to watch the Outback Bowl because the Peach Bowl starts half an hour later. It's much more interesting from a subplot standpoint. Number one is, yes, Ryan Nanny being the bloom and onion in the third quarter. And number two, um, Brandon Peters kind of gets an audition here. Uh, he, he was downright decent uh, when he took over. The, the Michigan offense was far more dangerous under him than, than it was under John O'Corn and maybe Wilton Spate to speak too. Uh, so he has a chance to at least toss out a good audition tape for next year. Um, and, and that's, that's really the only reason from a, from a subplot standpoint to watch the game. If you're not looking for blooming on your mascot highlights, which is really should be your primary, uh, operation there. Auburn UCF peach bowl. Um, not gonna sizzle on the cell, but it's really the, it's the game that you, that that's ideal for the slot, right? Cause it's 1130, Mm -hmm. uh, central time. You're not really, I mean, even as an Auburn fan, you're not really dying to win this game. <laughs> like you just kind of shrug it off, but it's, it's, it's going to be good couch coma, right? It's going to be good pointsy, um, fun. You get, I mean, look, they're going to talk about Nebraska half the game. Um, <laughs> I think it's cool. that Scott Frost stayed on to coach this thing. Unless you're a Nebraska fan, probably not as cool then, but, um, uh, th- this is the uh, how in the world I, I know that they don't schedule these these games specific opposite one another knowing the matchups but like I'm curious what kind of rating Michigan South Carolina is going to draw I know Michigan's a, a large brand name but like the mm-hmm. Auburn UCF game if you're a casual viewer is 110 percent the right option 
Yeah, I, I kind of hate that it's that UCF has to play Auburn. I think just thinking from a trenches standpoint, they could have against Penn State. That would have been a, they would have probably lost because Penn State's very good. But um, that would have been a nice. They would have had a chance to open things up, and and they wouldn't have been dominated on the lines as much. They could actually disrupt Penn State's offensive line a little bit, and that would have been an interesting battle. Um, UCF versus Washington. Washington's defensive front is amazing, uh, but you can if you have a good pass rush and a good attack, you can get to Jake Browning, and so that would have been a really interesting matchup as well. This one, I just feel like they're inferior on both lines. Uh, they don't have a trench advantage against Auburn, and that's going to be a major problem for them. They're still going to score because they're good. Um, but if Auburn's dialed in, and you never know in advance how it's going to play out with these games, if, if Auburn is somewhat dialed in, uh, you get on Johnson going a little bit. I, I think he's going to play. Last I checked, he was probable. Yes, he's probable for, for Saturday, uh, Monday, excuse me. Um, so sure. Like maybe that if, if both teams show up, play the same caliber, a game or B game or whatever, Auburn probably wins by 10 or 14, but that's uh, UCF's going to make them play. UCF's going to make them show up and play. Here's what's going to happen, Bill. Let me check my crazy Auburn sundial. Okay. All right. So we just re-upped Gus Malzahn and he just beat Alabama. Although he fell short to, of making the playoff against Georgia. Um, the thing that can inspire the most angst and be the most Auburn-y situation is that you beat Alabama, and then two games later, US, UCF whips you by <laughs> yeah. like 17. That's yeah, you can't take the Arkansas job now. So Exactly. Uh, so then now you're stuck in the same bizarre, like lukewarm marriage that you've been in. So 30 minutes later, and I know why the, I know why this scheduling quandary exists, and I don't agree with it, and it's stupid, but it, it stinks. exists. It stinks. Uh, yeah. Notre Dame and LSU play each other. Now, these two games, these last two games are the two that you need to flip back and forth from. So, yes. Um, LSU, Matt Canada, there's a question about it in the mailbag. I don't know what to say yet, like other than I'm just reading, like I haven't, I've been off. Um, I'll, I'll work on it. We'll do a segment on it maybe next week. Um, I don't think it's going to affect LSU one way or the other in this game. I think LSU is, <sighs> LSU is pretty focused on this game. Yeah. The benefit to all the stuff that we've talked about with recruiting is that Ed Orgeron got a hunk of it done, a pretty substantial hunk of it done as well. And there is still a wary eye being cast on Ed Orgeron in game <laughs> coach and Ed Orgeron, you know, sort of game manager, especially with this Canada stuff bubbling up to the surface now. LSU needs and wants to win this game. Yeah, and this is another one where I was talking about USC and Ohio State maybe finding motivation because they're playing each other. Same deal here. You, most teams don't look at you know they, whatever cachet there is still is still with Notre Dame. You like beating Notre Dame, uh, especially since LSU didn't beat them a couple years ago in a bowl. Um, I, I would say that the motivation level here is high. Yeah, it's been kind of funny with Edo, and I maybe maybe we talk about this in the mailbag, but. Um, my first reaction to him, like to basically saying, you know, well, first of all, you know, back in the Troy game where he got rid of the shifts, which the shifts are why you hire Matt Canada. Um, we're going to take the wheels off the car and just see if it works better that way. Right. Um, you know, that, and then now that they're moving on and everything, I, I saw a bunch of responses to the effect of, hey, yeah, I mean, why, why do you even hire him? If you, like, he gave you what you're looking for. Why do you even hire him? I talked to a couple of, co- I don't have as many con- connections as you, but I talked to a couple of coaches this week and the, and the response was basically that Matt Canada is a spectacular bridge burner. 
Um, and if there was a surprise involved this fall, it was that, man, I don't like working with this guy. That seems to be the general uh, premise that I was able to gather. Um, and who, who knows? We'll see. But uh, he's very good at his job, and he'll find another job because of it. But they do appear to be moving on, and we'll see what that means. I don't think it's the end of the world for either party. Um, no. All right, let's jump into the mailbag. Uh, man, there's a lot. Um, where do you, I tell you what, let me start with one for you and I'm going to start picking these apart. Jack burden at Jack underscore burden. How did S and P plus rank the conferences pre bowl season and how much weight, if any, should bowl results hold in comparing conferences? They should hold weight. They just, they hold weight as another non-conference game. Um, you know, we, we always, we, when we get to bowl season, we act like it's all that matters, you know, and, and that's ridiculous because the matchups aren't always equal, like number three versus number three. Sometimes it's like number two versus number six from a given conference. And that's, so there's that. And there's the coaching changes and the recruiting and all the things that always met. Well, all the things that always impact random bowl duds, plus then also signing day as well. It's just kind of a, it is a crapshoot. It is the least, um, reliable games i think on the schedule for the most part so we can't overstate it that said uh, i think uh, heading into let me see if i can pull it up real quick heading into bowl season the sec was still number one in average s&p and, uh, and obviously part of that was um the alabama effect uh but everybody had at least one top team so it's not you know if, if you remove alabama you remove all the top teams it doesn't change all that much overall um but let's see here uh the the S&P Plus rankings, conference rankings. SEC was number one with an average rating of plus 4.8 points. Um, the Big Ten, the ACC and Big Ten were tied at number two with plus 3.7. So about a point, 1.1 points back. I'll be surprised if one of those conferences makes up a point. Uh, but it's at least conceivable. Big 12 had fall, fell from second to fourth at plus 3.3, and the Pac-12 was a plus 2.9. So uh, basically there's one and there's just under two points difference between the SEC and Pac-12. Very compact this year as compared to previous years, um, but, but pretty interesting nonetheless. So we'll see. Hey, remember when I said that there was a little angst amongst Nebraska fans about their head coach still being uh, basically the functional head coach of UCF? <laughs> Uh, Josh E at Saunders 45. What are your thoughts on coaches doing double duty when changing jobs? A la Frost. I know a few have done it, but I'm curious how successful they've been in those bowl games. IMO. It seems that it might be better for a clean break. And then Josh has a Nebraska t-shirt in his abbey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there is no right answer to this question. Also, I don't really think it matters what, what happens in the bowl game. Um, it matters to the outgoing or ingoing coach. Right. That's the specific situation. Right. He was um, recruiting. You got he was Scott recruiting. Frost after a two year stint at a program in which he had to essentially sell himself to a group of players that were um, a mess uh, just a total mess. Now, there was some aggressive recruiting in those two cycles where they were to bring some guys in, but Frost sold a culture. That's what we always say, right? Um, and none of those UCF players can come with him to Nebraska and whether or not, you know, dream job, alma mater, going home, all that stuff, right? So that, that's true. That's fine. I'm not making fun of that. But what I'm saying is it's kind of, I think it's kind of nice that he he saw, hey, like, even though every second that ticks by is an, is there, there's some minor or major obligation to the future of Nebraska now on my shoulders, let's let's see this thing out with UCF and specifically with the players, with the kids, not with the AD or with the coach, whatever. None of that stuff. It's just let's let's treat this like 
we would expect to be treated from the kids in terms of their obligations. And so yeah. I thought it was nice personally, just in, yeah, yeah. in that one situation. Yeah. It, it wasn't like he wasn't recruiting, you know, he, he I'm looking at their commitment list. It looks like he got eight commits from, uh, from December 10th to December 21st. Three of them were four star kids per rivals. Um, so it's not like he wasn't like he was just ignoring his post. He was doing his job there. And at this exact moment, I believe it's a dead period. You can't recruit anyway. Um, so yeah, let, let him go back and finish his job there. Like he wants to do it. It's not like Nebraska has a game coming up in a couple of weeks. So as long as the recruiting didn't slack, then the onus is on the, 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 team he's leaving you know are they okay with him basically doing this other job and then coming back for the last week or two uh, to put together a game plan or everything and everybody on the UCF side said yes so we'll see i was um, going to say how often is it that ucf has a chance to win the peach bowl but then i realized like they won the fiesta bowl a couple of years ago right <laughs> it is a big damn deal though and it's it's it it's, le- it's less about what's good for ucf and the fact that they oh wow they're on this they're in rarefied air for for their program for their conference right now it's just more about look I don't know how to say this and not resort to the stuff that you're probably critical of when you hear it, which is the whole like relationships and commitment and stuff like they beg all of that behavior out of these kids who most of them naturally aren't going to offer that up. Right. And then they turn around and, and like welch on the deal when they run out to the next job, he didn't do that. I look Scott Frost, the person to talk to is not really engaging. He's adversarial. He's kind of a dick. Um, but I like, this is a really cool move on his part. The kids, the, the, his players loved him and they had a lot of fun playing with him. And so, yeah, it doesn't matter how he treats us, I guess. There's also, um, when, I mean, there's a, there's a pretty strong correlation between like Bob Stoops is beloved by current and ex assistant coaches and in the community and by his players. And Bob was always adversarial too. So, um, <laughs> this is an interesting question. Uh, Jack at simple Jack 23, um, Wait, he's got. I think he has two questions or two. The two parter. How do you think having four P five programs all within an hour and a half of each other, Carolina, NC State, Duke, and Wake, has impacted those programs' tra- trajectories? And then he follows up by saying, "Or three, Carolina, NC State, and Duke within thirty minutes." Um, mm. Well, the funny thing about the SEC's branding for a long time was that they were all pretty close together when you compare right. them to the big 12 and the, the old big 12 and the current, most of the current big 10, I guess even now more so with the big 10, you know, Nebraska to Rutgers is a, is a hike. Um, I don't know is the short answer. It's very <laughs> hard. It's very hard to maintain a talent pool where you have that many schools in one state period at the D one level. All right. Yeah. Because North Carolina is not this, and probably the state I'll always know the most about is Mississippi. And that for all of their population and, and economic and, and you name it issues, they produce an inordinate amount of division one talent relative to uh, their situation. And North Carolina doesn't, they have a good amount of talent, definitely. But when you have a great amount of talent, I think what there's one, two running backs I know of off the top of my head that were from Carolina that went to Georgia in the last 10 years, you know, it's, it's hard to keep them. Um, you're sandwiched between power programs like Penn State that likes to reach that far south, that far south now, and then of course you're up against uh, uh, South Carolina, Georgia, et cetera. Um, you know, in years past, Tennessee would go into North Carolina, so uh, it's it's a combination of a lot of things. It is very hard. Now, I will say this: Carolina, NC State, and Duke, uh, especially Carolina and NC State. 
can create better football cultures and, and environments and recruiting than they have in years past. I kind of like a lot of the things that Larry Fedora has done. Um, he, he was hamstrung with what he came in and didn't expect to deal with, with the sanctions and recruiting and the long gestating investigation and all that. It's hard. Do I think that, all right, let's, let's do this bill. Let's just kill Wake Forest. You're dead. Let's <laughs> kill. Um, all right. You're dead. So if the state was just North Carolina State and and North Carolina, do we think that it would be just noted that those two programs would just be dominant? I don't think so. Well, yeah, probably not. And I mean, obviously, Wake and Duke have different kind of, um, you know, well, I mean, North Carolina probably does too to some degree, but, you know, enrollment standards and whatnot. So that's a little weird. I think just in general. Um, what you see when you've got a bunch of schools clustered together like that, and that is a bunch of schools. It's kind of Mac-like in that uh, you're fighting amongst each other for a lot of recruits, even if you're losing a lot of the others to, you know, a lot of the big-name kids to the north or the south, uh, you're still fighting amongst each other a lot, and what that generally means is, uh, you know, a new hire, it's it's momentum swings, you know, based on new hires, and you can get kind of hot. Missouri, Kansas State, you know, Nebraska, Iowa State, Kansas, they all recruit the Kansas City area, and we saw kind of the same thing where Nebraska won a bunch of them in the 90s. Then K-State kind of started uh, easing in and taking over. Then Missouri did uh, after a couple years into the Pinkle era. Uh, You do see momentum shifts in that regard. Now, um, it is a little different here just because of the enrollment standards and because of uh, the the fight for any recruits in that area. But you're right. Like having that programs within an hour and a half of each other, having four is unique, but the, the geographic distance between Oxford and Starkville and uh, Tuscaloosa, um, not very much. And, um, you know, it was funny. Well, I think I've probably said this on the podcast before, but when Missouri moved, to the SEC, all you know, a lot of all we heard about here in Columbia was, "Oh man, they're going to invade your town." These SEC schools travel like crazy. They they really don't uh, compared to what Missouri was used to with Oklahoma and Nebraska and all that. It's just that everybody's within you know four hours of each other, so you can travel to every road game for the most part, and that's why they travel well. They still don't come to the to the far northwest corner of the conference any with any more veracity than a lot of the Yankees. Sure. Yeah. Um, but right, we have waffle houses, but, um, Ooh, but yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it can open itself to more momentum shifts and all that. But the way it's played out in history is that Duke is usually not very good. Wake's not usually not very good. Uh, NC state's usually pretty good and never great. North Carolina's all over the damn map. So, um, how it's affected them. They all, they have had kind of, you know, consistent histories, we'll say for the most part. And, and so maybe this doesn't impact it at all. Anthony B at Cerebus 200 X. Can a coach survive going over in modern times? It seems like some coaches can survive if they get, get at least one win, e.g. Fleck Taggart. But Ofer is a career killer, e.g. Ellis Johnson, Ty Willingham, George O'Leary. Is Beatty an exception? He's talking about Kansas, David Beatty, where zero wins was understandable. Um, well, we got to couch this real fast. Um, what year is it in your career? Right. What's the job? Um, is it year zero? Pardon the pun. Is it year one? Um, I can tell you right off the top of my head, it's not acceptable in the SEC. It's not acceptable. It, it may not even be acceptable in the bottom basement of like a Rutgers situation. No, I don't even think it's, it's acceptable at Rutgers. Um, help me out here 
Kansas. Yeah. One year with Kansas, I because of the extraordinary situation with that roster and with what right. had been done by with Charlie Wright, Charlie Weiss with the JUCO right. gaff. Yeah. I mean, I think I predicted them to go 0-12 that year or something very close to it, and that was without knowing that I, I was pretty skeptical about Beatty from the opening, from the jump, but I still didn't know for sure, and it was still pretty clear that they had a very good chance of going 0-12 that year. So that was just a massive talent deficit. You, were, I mean, all these situations are slightly different. Ellis Johnson, they were 12-2 and two, uh, the year before. That, and yeah, granted, Ellis Johnson's an aberration. I don't even know if I would yeah. use that as a comparison. There were so many things I could go into just knowing that region and knowing some of those people involved. It was an extremely bad hire an extremely bad athletic department it was an athletic director that was in over his head it was like just there was no money in the program it was a huge mess huge mess um uh, but regardless when you go from 12 and 2 to 0 and 12 yeah you're probably not going to get another year but willingham and o'leary that was at the end of like a you know right. o'leary that was right. at the he ran out of gas it was clear he was done i he lost his attention to detail willingham had been uh trailing off for a while actually no not even trailing off he never actually caught going uh, at washington they won like 11 games his first three years um so that was just the culmination of him clearly being the wrong hire Beatty's situation i don't like like i, I don't like the job he's doing and I think even at Kansas, he needs to be doing a better job. I thought it was okay to fire him. We've talked about this, but him going 0 and 12 in his first year had very little to do with him. I think. Um, I'm still trying to figure out where it would be suitable in a situation like like. I'll put it this way: so Ole Miss is facing or not facing. So Ole Miss has NCAA sanctions, and an offer would not be suitable in any of the current situ any of the years that they've got coming up where they're going to be hurt. Um. Baylor this year did not go over and they certainly won't next year. Um, I don't know if it is at power five. It's a good question. That's why I like the question. Usually it does take a lot to go over because the talent differential just isn't that big. Yeah. Um, and eventually you're you going to get that either. FCS team that you can yeah, get right. Yeah. But usually it's going to require either a ton of injuries or a ton of freshmen or a, a team mailing it in on their head coach or the head coach mailing it in. Um, the Fleck and Taggart examples are also your start. Those are from scratch G five situations in Western Kentucky right. scenario. They were literally, Literally, they were a an FBS program for a hot minute. You know, like it was really, really starting from nothing. That one win season that he's talking about, um, right? That's a that's a tough one. Um, I want to say no. Maybe we'll find out next year if there's a suitable situation. Now, all right, what about this? Let's say Vanderbilt fires Derek Mason next year, and they, mm-hmm. and and hold your breath. Don't get too excited when I say this. Okay. They bring in an option coach. <laughs> All right. And I'm talking straight up Paul Johnson under center option. Okay. Finally. Would that be an, would the following year on install be a, be a, be a, an acceptable. I, look, I mean, if it's a situation where you just fired your coach uh, and he, let's say he went like two and 10, it's not like going 12 is that far away from two and 10. It does take a lot. It takes something extra, but especially if you're, if you're moving in and changing systems, chances are like the odds are pretty good that you're, you're then uh, installing a bunch of freshmen and you could absolutely go on 12. I mean, that's my example. It's an old one now, but my example is, you know, um, Lou Holtz at uh, South Carolina going on 11 his first year and then going back to back bowl games. That was a while ago. Oh, uh, and actually I'm, 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 just realizing he might that that might be the example he's bringing up with O'Leary O'Leary 
magically began his career 0 and 11 at UCF and then finished it 0 and 12 and won a hell of a lot of games in between. So maybe he was talking about the 0 and 11 debut there, but that kind of furthers my example because the guy before him that year, they went, they went three and nine, they were falling apart already. Yeah. So he just burned it to the ground and started over. The, the, if it's, the whole if it's situation, kind of situation in South Carolina just doesn't exist anymore. They're not going to give you that time ever. But I mean, SEC aside, if it's a situation where you're clearly burning everything down and starting with freshmen and, and there's a clear reason why you're doing that, then, yeah, I think you do get more leeway than you would otherwise. Baylor would have been a pretty good example this year, but they, uh, you know, they managed to eke one out. But what, but really, what is the difference between one and 11 and no and 12? Like they uh, they 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 whomped Kansas. <laughs> that, that was it, you know, Um and and so it, it wouldn't have I, it wouldn't have changed my own opinion of the trajectory of the program them going to one twelve or one eleven it was clearly a restart year no matter what. Okay, here's a question for you. That's a good um, at Patrick Bozeman, JB Smooth featuring Rob Thomas on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> what would be more annoying if we have a UGA versus Bama national championship game? The ride or die SEC fans pumping their chests, or if neither SEC team makes it in the anti-SEC crowd saying the conference is overrated for the next nine months. <laughs> Ooh. Um, I, you go first. I, I guess, I mean, probably the, the former there is going to be more annoying because the SEC clearly isn't amazing this year. Uh, Alabama and Georgia are very, 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 very good. Two of the four best teams in the country. Um, but the SEC would then glom on and take credit for it. And we even saw that, man, like I, we, we've talked about this a little bit here and there, but um, you know, we, we try to further the narrative uh, quite a bit. You know, we try to push it forward. We, we do interesting things in the off season. We try not to, you know, we, we, you know, the, the, the Hoover, Alabama SEC media day situation, we, you know, that was a, a humongous deal for us uh, a few years ago. Now we send one person. Um, who was it? Was it Morgan this year? I, I think, think so. Uh, yeah, and I think she did a pretty good job, but it's still one person, uh, and we didn't spend as much time or resources overall on it as we used to. We do try to disseminate a little bit and not just kind of go back to the same tropes, the same kind of thing. And number one at sec media days we all that's that's like the 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 go-to spot in the calendar when we realize oh all this stuff we've been talking about the last six months trying to get creative and enjoy the sport and blah 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 most of the audience and most of the analysts haven't thought about this football game since the national title game ended uh and we're just starting over i had a feeling like that the other day when somebody i think it was yesterday i guess somebody um asked i believe it was a question regarding clemson uh, and, and, and whether they are, uh, you know, playing sec kind of defense these days, uh, you know, do they, do they qualify as an sec defense? And that was the gist of the question. Like, my God, like you won the national There's title last year. You are, there. it doesn't. There's a hell of a lot of stupid, and and I kind of uh, I even with my little like Saturday or Sunday morning fights on the internet uh, when I'm releasing my rankings, I still. I think I, I, I protect myself from a lot of that sometimes. And then I randomly get little peeks at it and it's like, Oh, we just, we can never push this thing forward. So yeah, I would say even though Alabama and Georgia are very, very good. And it says nothing about the very, very bad teams in the conference. Um, they would make the title game. There's a very good chance. They both make the title game and it will be sec, 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 sec. And that will be more annoying. Let me add this. If it's Georgia and Alabama, it will be less SEC as it will be Saban. Student, teacher, yeah, yeah. master, that's all that crap. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I'm okay um, with that. My prediction. 
I won't really enjoy it, but I'm okay with it. My prediction, I was we were just going to get into this later. We can we can jump into it right now. And we don't predict things on this show as a matter of habit or anything like that. I don't know what lines are. I don't, you know. Um, I think Clemson wins a national championship over Georgia. If okay. Oklahoma ends up beating Alabama, I wouldn't be shocked. I think they're they're two good games. I'm excited about both. Um, I would, on a personal level, not like to see the Saban Bowl, Saban I, Saban, Saban, Saban moment. Um, watching right. the culture change at Georgia, and I don't mean inside the program. I mean the 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 DNA and the psychology shift. It, it is still my home state. Um, I haven't lived there in a long, 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 long time, but I, it's it's the place I understand, and it's weird that this full embrace of the save in Alabama methodology, as well as this expectation based off of one half signing period that we're going to overtake the monster. I don't know if I like it yet. This is just a personal thing. Okay. <laughs> On a football level, they're yeah. doing great, right? Fantastic. Hard to argue. Um, Auburn pants them, but then they return the favor. And so I feel like that's, you know, turnabout's yeah. fair play. So, um, it would be uh, to answer the original question from Patrick. I'm. I would much rather see Clemson beat Oklahoma in a game that I don't even. Really, I wouldn't be that interested in watching, or Oklahoma upsetting Clemson, whatever. Um, than I would be in the Saban Bowl. Um, this is all personal <laughs> preference. Um, yeah. I guess what he wants to know is what's think- more insufferable. I. The anti-SEC thing is always fun for me because I live in the cradle of the Southeastern Conference and have to deal with that crap so much. Uh, I mean, we're both you in sort of a weird way by transition, you know, uh, almost by remarriage. But me, like I'm, I went to a cradle to grave Southeastern Conference school, and I'm from the the heart of the South, and like I, I make it a point to question a lot of what the SEC does. I make it a point to to work on debunking these these myths. It's not even narratives anymore, Bill. It's myths that they create. Um, I would have no problem with an SEC free national championship. I mean, I'm, we're the guys who are like, man, I hope Washington makes it just to expand the sphere of influence in the sport. So, I, don't, I mean, hell, if it was yeah. up to us, we'd probably have Boise and Washington in a national championship game. Damn, damn straight. Um, no, I, I the two matchups I'm rooting for here are either Georgia-Clemson, um, because that, I mean, that's a, that's a rivalry in itself. Massive, massive rivalry. King, yeah. like the, 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 the founder of, of dog sports. Um, I believe he kind of swore off football a couple of years ago cause he was kind of disgusted with money and all that. But, uh, before he swore it off, he wrote a, a really interesting book about the, the kind of underrated, the hidden nature of the Georgia Clemson rivalry. They don't play all that often or lately, at least they haven't. Uh, but then they'll randomly meet up a couple times a decade or a little bit more and they will try to murder each other. Uh, and their fans will be obsessed, like will be high level. And then they go kind of go back about their business for a few years. And then they get back together again and try to murder each other from a national title standpoint. That sounds spectacular that, you know, the, 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 the history pieces I would be able to write off that would be fantastic. And I, and I uh, very much look forward to that. Or I want Baker Mayfield versus Nick Saban. Yeah. I'd be fine with either one of those. Um, The Georgia Clemson thing, just to echo bill. So I am 36. My, I can't, my, parents age they were born in the mid 50s um my parents went to college at georgia southern and for a little while so did tony barnhart the famous sports writer who finished his degree at uh, at georgia and people of that generation this has a point people of that generation hey. man, it's been a while i thought you got rid of it um no. 
people of that generation talk about Georgia and Clemson as the rivalry for the state of Georgia and for that area, mm. for that region. Um, when I grew up, my dad was always very, very emphatic, and it really bleeds into the way we approach this podcast specifically about he was first and foremost and last a Georgia Southern fan, right? And first and foremost and last an Atlanta Falcons fan, no matter what city mm. his kids were living, that's who we cheered for. Thanks, by the way. Um, <laughs> but when we talked about Georgia, we talked about Clemson and that rivalry, like mm-hmm. tech. I mean, my mom's from Atlanta and like the tech thing is, oh man, I don't want to say this cause I like Georgia tech people, but like it was viewed by the, the sidewalk Georgia fan as a nuisance. You know, it was a, it was a little brother dynamic. Florida did not exist in this. The, the paradigm wasn't right. there at all. The way you, if you're 24 and listening to this and you're shocked by that, like half of our staff, um, and you went to Florida, like Florida did not exist. It was not something you thought about in terms of college football, period. And so Georgia Clemson would be for this one slice of the United States, like it, man, this would reignite something. And, and, and if they're smart, get the scheduling back in order or just get them locked in for like maybe a 2020 or 2021, like Chick-fil-A bowl kickoff based on this national title as a sort of like the return match, it would be awesome. It would be fantastic. Um, I, I don't, I mean, Bill, can you name me right now in the last five years? If, if you had to, I don't know if there's a great interconference national championship game. I always, <laughs> I always kind of grip my teeth at that LSU Bama sucked. Like, I don't want to see that. I wouldn't want to see a rematch of Michigan, Ohio state. I wouldn't want to see like, you know, for, Oh, what year was it? Bill 2003. That Texas OU had potential to rematch in the BCS? Was it 2004? Um, 03 or 01, I maybe? Say it was a, yeah, no, 01 was always Miami. Uh, yeah, somewhere in the 03 neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. I remember writing about that possibility a long time ago for whoever the hell I was writing about back then. <laughs> none of that, like, none of that is appealing. So, Georgia Bama, even though they didn't see each other, does not have appeal for me, and I live in the heart of it. So, I don't know. We, we sort of accidentally just did our playoff preview then. Yeah, I would right. like to see a bunch of Baker Mayfield. I, I really don't know if you can lose on this. I'm not personally fired up for another Clemson Oklahoma game. No, and, and that's I mean it's it's different cast of characters, so it could play out differently. But we we did see that one relatively recently. It wasn't a lot of fun. So aesthetically, yeah, give me Clemson Georgia. And I, I just pulled up the records by the way. So the, I mean part of the Clemson Georgia thing too is that they both kind of came up together in the late seventies. You had, um, they were both scattershot programs, lots of highs, especially Georgia. Uh, but they were, you know, it was up and down and up and down. But in 1978, Georgia goes nine, two and one and hands Clemson. their only lost, uh, winning 12 to nothing. 1979, uh, uh what ended up being a, a, a disappointing Georgia team loses 12 to seven to Clemson. Uh, 1980, uh, they, uh, you know, 12 and oh, Georgia goes on to win the national title, barely gets by Clemson at home 20 to 16. And Clemson wasn't all that great that year. But then the next year, Clemson wins a national title game uh, and has to win like a big defensive slug face, thir- slug fest 13 to three over her in Georgia. Um, so then 13 to seven again, the next year, Georgia hands uh, Clemson, their only loss again. The next year, Clemson goes nine, one and one again, Georgia goes 10, one and one again. Uh, they tied each other. Uh, so they basically, they kind of half eliminated each other from the national title game at the same time. They're at 26, 23 and 84, 20 to 13 and 85, 31, 28 and 86, 21, 20 and 87. Like every single one of those games was intense and close. And a lot of them had national title significance. And they basically, that, 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 
brought it to a boil. Since then, they barely played. They, you know, they played in, let's see, 90, uh, 94, 95, 02, 03, a couple of years ago. But it hasn't been a recent thing. The hatred's still kind of there, though, because for anybody who remembers those 80s games, it's kind of a yeah, Notre Miami thing in a way, except regional. Exactly. And I think it's it's not something that the, the young people are going to pick up on. There is a, a big cross-section amongst undergraduates, though, because Clemson recruits not just football players, but actual students pretty aggressively in the city of Atlanta. So um, I, I think it would be awesome. I will, all right. I got a question based out of this question. Okay. What's a better narrative squelcher on the SEC if we're taking down the SEC? Is it that Clemson wallops Alabama in the, in the semis and then wins two out of three, right? Mm-hmm. Or... Is it Baker Mayfield and Oklahoma <laughs> picking apart a, a big, big 12 offense yeah. as they hold their nose? The, the, most big, the most big 12 offense. Although, well, actually, the big they, 12, they, don't, right? they, don't, they don't run tempo like they used to. But regardless, yeah, that would be extremely big 12. Maybe, I they, maybe they come out at one point and they do it. Right. <laughs> Just, like, no, is, I think is, that's is, the biggest thing, especially yeah. if Baker Mayfield beats Georgia and Alabama. That would be the best case scenario for that, even though it requires Alabama to beat Clemson. If Baker Mayfield beat in Oklahoma beat Georgia and Oklahoma or Alabama, that that would be massive from a narrative standpoint. I'm down with that. I like that. All right. Um, let's take a couple more questions and we'll get out of here. We just accidentally did our national title <laughs> preview. Um uh, Todd Graham is coaching the bowl game for ASU. By, oh, I'm sorry, Andy at one dishwasher. Uh, Todd Graham is coaching the bowl game for ASU. Who hires him at at the AFCA, and where does Matt Canada <laughs> land? Um, I can't answer any of those questions. I just thought it was funny. Um, yeah, I saw somebody, uh, one of our Auburn fans said uh, this morning when I posted, oh, right, yeah, Graham's still coaching. Um, I think it was an Auburn fan that basically said, congrats in advance to defensive analyst, uh, Auburn defensive analyst Todd Graham. Um and then real quick, Ryan Dewey at T underscore Ryan Dewey. Can you talk about the Matt Canada stuff now? Um, did, just as a housekeeping note, did I tease something on a previous show? No, they just, they just know you know LSU. <laughs> I honestly, like, this is just poor prep on my part. This is my first day back in the office before we, you know, the New Year's stuff and all that. Like, I just haven't made my calls. I saw what was happening yesterday on Twitter. Um, the best person to follow in, in Baton Rouge is Ross Dellinger. Um I think it's he writes for the advocate, by the way. Um, I have not talked to people. I will probably know the most and the best about Canada in like three weeks when people aren't as is interested. And unfortunately, that's how good news happens. Is it just right. you, you talk to a lot of people over a span of time and you kind of build a consensus off of more than one conversation is the best way I can say it. Um I can't tell you anything revelatory right now. I'm not holding out. It's not like embargo situation. I'm writing a story. I really just don't know. I just got back to work. <laughs> uh, at Braden Hodges says, chances the Big Ten goes 8-0 and this bowl season, even though it means nothing. I appreciate him throwing that last part in there because he knows I'm not a big bowl fan. But I think it's fun. Um, Why not? It's fun. Well, it's fun. And look, that means Northwestern beats Kentucky. Ohio State beats USC. Uh, Penn State beats Washington. Uh, Wisconsin beats Miami. And Michigan beats South Carolina. Um, that's not unlikely now Penn state being in Washington. I, I know my, my numbers love Washington. And so that one's like 50, 50 at best. But, uh, I think the big 10 team is favored in all of those, if I remember right. So there's an, absolutely a chance that that happens. And oh, the, speaking of annoying narratives, <laughs> Ooh, our conference is awesome. Cause Iowa barely beat Boston college. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of missed that. I, one of my best friends when I was in college was from Texas, even though he was at Ole Miss for a time, he was a diehard longhorn. Um, we would, man, we would go through and like, 
nitpick the crap out of bull records and make that a claim against one another and it there's absolutely no way to make that relative to make that even fair i mean bull contracts are so asinine and weird to yeah. begin with you're not going to have an even playing field to compare the teams um when we would like get jacked up and like talk smack we're in college about whatever oh, yeah, team no, we're, that's, we're in the I, cotton bowl because that was always a permanent big 12 sec matchup i don't want to pee on that either like i don't i don't want to you know it's like oh they're stupid they're ridiculous they're fun i love bowls it's just you know and and if you're into a brag and right situation they're your best chance for one um but yeah it is believe like going eight no will not mean oh my god the big Ten's the best conference in the country it might they might you know catch uh the sec and average s&p and everything but it just I said, means- look, I, I've been the one saying this year that I don't know about one through 14, but I do know that I thought one through six, I, I, I thought the big 10 one through six was better. Yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my half-ass observation. I've been in the middle of a project I can't talk about, which took me out of college football in a, in a weird way, even though it was a college football project for weeks. I, this is just one man's opinion. And I don't know if, I mean, not to slight some of the stuff you do, it's hard to empirically prove that one way or the other. So, you know what, if you want to argue, <laughs> do do it yeah the connectivity it's awesome connectivity is never going to be what it needs to be especially with everybody moving to nine game conference schedules so it's it's always going to be an argument thing more than an empirical thing but the, uh, there are crosses that there are crosses i'll die on and hills i'll climb and when, <laughs> when people want to people want to clutch pearls over that stupid stupid um that uh what do we call it now that i called it rust belt indignation the whole fcs saturday thing in november right. where they all lose their friggin' minds like that's dumb and i'll i'll st- i hate stumping for the league i hate stumping for the sec and i will uh, it it doesn't matter at all i don't want to get back into that fight but that's a moment where i feel like we can kind of we can plant a flag and, and, and kind of push from there <laughs> and, and create a conversation. Yeah. if you want to get a t-shirt that says the big 10 went eight and oh and bowls in 2017 god bless more power to you <laughs> like send me one i'll wear it i don't care yeah, we, we're basically right now standing on our soapbox and going, you're dumb and you're dumb and you're dumb. But, you know, it's I don't want to undercut this because it's more real than I should probably even admit. And what I mean by that is just in personal experience, the first time we really kind of flex the national aspect of my job when I came on at SB Nation years ago and I went to the West and I went to the North, the, the West is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a different conversation then when i would meet people who worked for the conference the big 10 conference when i would meet people who are athletic directors at particular universities and they found out where i was from my background the schools i covered all that kind of stuff they were shocked i had an interest in in the big 10 they were shocked that i was coming in in a non-adversarial way without <laughs> any level of condescension i think people were shocked and i don't i doubt that they listened to this program when i called the university of Indiana in the spring. And I was like, Hey, I want to come do a thing on Tom Allen. And they were like, what? Not because they don't believe in Tom Allen or Indiana football, but because when they vetted me for a hot second, they were like, this is an sec guy. What's up? What are you doing? Exactly. Like, are you here to make fun of us? Is this just going to be like, look at the basketball school trying? No, like (laughs) I went up there. Um, they were nice people. They have way better facilities than people realize for football. Mm -hmm. Yes. yes. Got some work to do, but it's, it's, it's good. They're like, I, you people are nice. Um, I don't want to fall into a ditch here, but I think this is real and I think it affects like, I think it's why Woodson won the Heisman over Manning. I think that it's why you see I think it's why Mark Ingram won the Heisman. I think stupid things 
like like the Heisman are affected by this the most, but I do believe that there is a raw undercurrent of um, Yankees and Southerners in college yeah. football, and it ruins a lot of uh, it ruins a lot of parts of the sport, in my opinion, specifically in the media. I think you see Medill graduates and 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 graduates of your university, ironically, that are in the media that look at the SEC in a different way, and they look at the Big Ten in that sort of John U. Bacon. It's the soul of the sport going back to the 30s, and I'm making like a hand-winking motion, which you can't see on a podcast. But there is – and then there's this also really dumb, almost myopic, short-sighted viewpoint in the South of like they ain't no good. They are. And a lot of those programs can come down here and stomp you into the curb. Um, And I think Ohio State and Penn State embody taking like a blueprint or or, or a philosophy that was born in the South. By the way, both of those coaches coached and won and were successful in the South in different ways and and applying it to kids from Chicago and football players from Philadelphia. Because guess what? There are good football players in Chicago and Philadelphia. Don't be a dumbass. You know, their college football exists north of Kentucky. Some years it doesn't exist in Kentucky, but that's another joke. Um, Whew. Sorry, okay. got on, I got a little rant there, Bill. Um, I just got to work out my media disgust. One of my favorite lines, I just pulled it up, the manuscript here. One of my favorite quotes, I'm not, not lines as in I wrote it, but from 50 Best. The 50 Best Asterisk College Football Teams of All Time, still available Are on you Amazon for, yourself? All your, for all of your post-Christmas shopping. Uh, I've got money in my pocket needs. Um, oh, wait, 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 back up. Are you citing yourself? Um, I'm citing a quote that I use, so not quite. Oh, okay, the same. all right, carry you on. Know, not, uh, so I'm looking forward here. So basically, the 1947 uh, Notre Dame chapter, ironically enough, was only marginally about Notre Dame because I was talking about the purity code, you know, and all these things that they were going on where the Big Ten had this very clear vision of the kids shouldn't be, you know, paid, and by paid they meant scholarships um you know it was a very very meanwhile the south wanted to pay their damn kids so that they could get put good teams on the field because they liked having good teams um spoiler it, alert they did <laughs> well and even then like they're they're specifically in this case they were talking about paying them with scholarships but yes otherwise uh yes um and that that obviously continued but i'm trying to find it here this was a, a wonderful so basically at this point in time um they're trying to make rules to make college football more fair because the south was paying their kids and notre dame was getting all the recruits without having to try because Notre Dame was the only national brand in college football. Um, and it was really bitter and ugly, like so much of, you know, the late forties in all of sports, I guess, for any number of reasons. Um, damn, scrolling is hard on a word document. That's 500,000 words. Um, where did it go? Where did it go? Where did it go? We get it, Bill. You're prolific. Well, uh, it's not, that's not necessarily a brag, but I'm going to have to edit, freaking edit this silence out. Where's the damn quote? Mm-mm, don't edit. This is good. Uh, hold on. Hold Last on. 10 minutes of the podcast, Bill loses his mind. I That's sc- good. I scroll one page and it skips three pages, and then I have to try to go back. Um, Are you uh, talking like o- OG Microsoft Word? Is that what you're using? That's what I mean. That's what I typed the manuscript in, yeah. Um, Interesting choice. I should, I should have pulled up just the individual chapter and not the entire book. But anyway, I found it. 
here's a quote for you. Uh, teams from the SEC and Southern Conference felt that with a less deep history with the sport and an equal desire to dominate, they needed to do more to attract talent. They were insistent that they be allowed to recruit off campus. That was another thing. You're not, they, you know, they were trying to ban the big uh, coaches in the Big Ten, athletic directors in the Big Ten were, were trying to ban off campus recruiting. You had to come to them, basically. Uh, and that worked out great for them. Uh, they wanted to recruit off campus. They wanted to give scholarship assistance to the athletes they were recruiting, and they've been doing so since 1935. NCAA President John Griffith disagreed, and those from the North had no problem using certain terms in reference to the South. At the NCAA convention in 1939, Ohio State Athletic Director Lynn St. John used an Abraham Lincoln quote, asserting that college athletics couldn't continue, quote, half slave and half free, unquote. Um, God damn. Yeah. People, the, the, the North versus South thing's been going on a little while, and everybody looks bad when they fight that fight. But uh, always stupid. It's anyway, always two, stupid. Two more questions. One of them quick, and one of them probably a little less quick, and then we can get out. Uh, I, I yes, was sir. scrolling through and found a couple of good ones. The, the short one is from our friends at Shake in the Southland, our Clemson SB Nation site at ST Southland. Should I be putting all of my eggs into the beautiful, wonderful, wonderful, amazing Travis ATN basket? Uh, I believe what he is, they were referring to is any chance we've got to, uh, to run the ball against Alabama. It has to come from Etienne, right? Um, he's the their latest blue chip freshman. He's explosive as hell. Um, early in the season, you know, he, he didn't play against Auburn, but he had six carries for 98 yards against Louisville, nine for 113 against Boston College. Um, he was very much a two-yard gain or 60-yard gain kind of back, but he's clearly very talented. Um if Clemson runs the ball, like he's probably their best chance to run the ball well, yes, because of the upside alone. But he had six carries for 24 yards against Miami, he, uh, nine for 41 against South Carolina, eight for 31 against NC State. Um, Clemson's run game, if Clemson's going to win, if Clemson's going to run the ball well, I think it's Kelly Bryant. I think it's Kelly Bryant carrying like 20 times for 110 yards. Um, when their quarterback situation isn't at quite as exciting from a run standpoint, they're just very, very, uh, they're, they're not as efficient. They, they grew more in, a, they grew more efficient as they went on. I was complaining a lot about this over the first half of the year, um, right before they lost to Syracuse. But of course, then again, for the second straight year, once they lost, they're like, okay, well now we have to play. And they started playing a lot better. Um, but they are – he's their big play guy. He's the, really the only uh, – Feaster, I guess, a little bit too. But um, he's their best combination of efficiency and explosiveness. But I still think it's Bryant carrying 20 times that's going to win this game if they win it. Um, I'm fine with all that. I would say this. I, I, I believe I said this on the last podcast or, I don't know, some radio spot. So I want to be have a little bit of continuity in my prediction. <laughs> um. I don't think Hertz is I don't think Hertz is a good enough passer to win this game and I think that the Clemson is a good enough defense to create issues and and run the turnover margin up. I think you don't necessarily have to stake your running game on one in one player if you're Clemson. I think spreading the ball around in in terms of the run game and just having the first off spreading the ball around in the run game is how you're going to be effective in the run game and mm-hmm. then if you are um, I think marginalizing hurts on the other side of the ball and then being able to hold and you got to kind of still play Alabama a little bit, Alabama sometimes, at least if you're Clemson, I don't think that they're necessarily equipped to do the, 
Manziel, Manziel Ole Miss thing, right? Which is not really sustainable over the course of a game. We saw that in that second Ole Miss win, right? Like it's that's not necessarily a real blueprint. It's just more of like if you have enough gunpowder to keep them confused for four quarters. Um, and Clemson doesn't need to do that either. They're a more talented team than those teams were. So I, yeah, um, I, I find myself sometimes like I, I still kind of hold Alabama to a different standard because when I was writing the piece I wrote earlier in the week was about Jalen hurts and, and what it takes for Alabama to what it's going to take for Alabama to beat Clemson's defense. And I was like, man, it's going to, he's going to have to come up big on passing downs. He hasn't done that much this year. I don't really, I'm not optimistic about Alabama beating Clemson's defense, but then you start to step back and realize oh well kelly bryant has to be in alabama's defense too and you know from an s&p standpoint uh, alabama's 19th offensively clemson's 35th uh, they're basically the same defensively but alabama's had the better offense this year overall um clemson doesn't generate big plays so it's going to be it's going to have to be kelly bryant rushing for four yards on third and three and then five yards on third and four and then completing a seven yard pass on third and six they're gonna have to do that repeatedly if they don't as you mentioned win the turnover battle and just, so just beat Alabama the most Alabama way possible. That would be the most fun <laughs> thing to watch. Yeah, sure. But uh, uh, yeah, last question, last question uh, from our friends at the Scott and Holman podcast, P A W D podcast at a S H podcast. Uh, will Mike Leach. I love this question. Actually, will Mike Leach ever find himself in Glenn Mason territory? Uh, Glenn Mason territory <laughs> is one of my go-to references. When you talk about a guy who has succeeded, who has raised the bar, but doesn't keep raising the bar and therefore fans start to get very impatient. And then eventually he gets fired for having a record that at the beginning of his tenure, they would have absolutely sold the farm for um, right now. Mike Leach's last three years at Washington state. Now nine and four, eight and five, nine and four, all with uh massive destruction losses to to Washington and some other disappointments along the way. Um, you know, the, the, the showing last night, obviously Luke Falk didn't play, but they, they, they laid a big egg against uh, Michigan state last night. They lost a, in their bowl game to Minnesota, just a dreadful 17 to 12 game last year in the holiday bowl. Yeah. Um, after losing by 28 to Washington the year before they did beat Miami in the snow, but it came after a 35 point loss to Washington. Um, I, you know, they, when you take that and then you add to the fact that he kind of sort of thought he was Tennessee's new coach for a couple hours a, a few weeks ago, um, this, has very, this has very high Glenn Mason territory uh, potential, I think. I can't disagree with any of that, but you knew what you were getting into when you got into it in the first place. So I, I don't necessarily <laughs> think he's intoning regret or buyer's remorse or anything like that, but – I don't know. Wazoo without Leach is more interesting to me now than Wazoo is with Leach. Cause, cause when you look at a Leach led football team, you're just assuming that the highs and lows in the product are necessarily a result of, of he, he and his system specifically. You don't necessarily think about like what could program X be without him. We still don't understand Texas tech without Mike Leach. <laughs> we, you know, Wazoo with the Paul Wolf situation was in a bad way. Um, I'm just interested to see what a what like what's a functional wazoo without leech? Is it possible? That division's well, yeah. nasty, man. Yeah, it's definitely nasty. Now, I do. I mean, Texas Tech without Mike Leach is a very good case for even like I, I understand how a marriage with Mike Leach would get very stale, <laughs> especially if you have to like cover the team and whatnot. Um, but Texas Tech without Leach and their fortune since they they pushed him out for really weird reasons um, have not been great. They've had a, a, some wins here and there, a couple bowl seasons here and there, and that's all fine. But they haven't met the Leach peak 
since he left um, or sustained it anyway. And I think Washington state has to fear the same kind of situation. Um, they had a good year this year. We are kind of inventing something here. It's not like I'm, I have the, the athletic director's ear. It's not like he's th- thinking about pushing him out uh, or anything like that, but you can see the, the, the Glenn Mason territory um, stale marriage kind of situation uh, potentially brewing here. And uh, I'm curious what happens. Cause if you push him out, you are probably not going to do better without, um maybe i don't know 26 wins in three years that's a high bar even even mike price like he he had a a, a, quite a few really good seasons in the 90s and early 2000s there was only once like once ever where he had back-to-back good years like they went nine and three then five and six eight and four then three and eight ten and two then three and eight Uh, it wasn't until the very end when he got you know hired by alabama uh, that he had ever produced back-to-back good years, so it's hard. And he and and Leach is doing it now. Uh, I'm just curious in general. Like I, I don't. Pac-12 is uh, is a hard thing to evaluate in hindsight now because I think the conference has changed in a, in a lot of fundamental ways, in very quiet ways, um, with the money and the TV and the added emphasis on infrastructure, all the things that we've hit on before. But I think that that has maybe changed the conversation, especially on the mid tier schools like Wazoo and Arizona. Um, I don't know what happens if he walks away. I don't think that they fall into the Paul Wolf abyss again, though. I really, no, I mean, that's, it's really hard to fall that far, but I, I don't think they'll, okay. I don't think they'll be better. That's for sure. Hey man, it's like my buddy, Bill Connolly always says about the coach you hire. So, uh, Bill. We'll be back. What are we Wednesday. doing this next year? A week. When are we, when are we when doing, are we this, doing next this next year? We're doing yeah. this on Wednesday. Like we always do it. Okay. Um, unless, unless the majority, I mean, it's majority rule situation for you, the listener. If you don't like Wednesday, let us know. No, screw um, that. It's majority rules between us. That's what I say. Screw the <laughs> listeners. Wow. Uh, no, but oh, okay. So, totalitarian we're, bill. We're, we're back on a Wednesday schedule starting next week, I guess. Okay. Um, yeah, and I'll even remember to do the show intro more than 50% of the time in 2018 because I didn't do it this week. I didn't do it last week either. Um, this has been Podcasting Play Nobody. Yeah, it was college football marriage that goes unspoken. Um, this was Podcasting Play Nobody. This was a college football marriage of numbers and words. Um, my name is Stephen Godfrey. You can get me at, at 38 Godfrey. That's SB Nations, Bill Connolly. He invented the S&P Plus analytics system, wrote a bunch of books. He's at, at SBN Bill C underscore underscore in between SBN and Bill C. Uh, see, like how rusty. Maybe we'll, maybe I'll just retool the intro. I don't know. Okay. Maybe we'll, well, get, that, maybe we'll get that intro music I've been asking for for a year. By the way, we got an email about that that we need to address. But uh, by the way, um, last week I randomly talked about the obnoxious Pumas that I was wearing. And I said, if you follow me on Instagram, then you know which pair I'm talking about. I yeah. picked up 30 Instagram followers within the three days following saying that. Um, yeah, so, the, 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 the Papin Nation is – they're out there. And so, uh, you, know, uh, you know, everybody got to see the shoes I was talking about and whatnot. But regardless, yes, follow me on Instagram, SBN underscore Bill C, for all the pictures you need of um, food and shoes and dogs. Um, those of you who t- uh, tweeted at me, we'll pull this out for a segment next week, but I had so many tweets about what to do about the car stereo situation in that truck and how to solve <laughs> the big and rich CD issue. Some of y'all are inventive and cheap as hell. I might add. Um, all right. Uh, back next week, uh, off season schedule is, here we go. When we come back next week, we'll have one college football game left. So yep. let's just call it the off season. How about that? Yep. Sounds good.